occasionally uh, I meet somebody and they ask me what I do, uh, which is, is, is kind of an interesting question. What do you do? Well, you know, I do a lot of things. I play the guitar. I, uh, yeah. I like to eat, and I'm really good at that. I sleep occasionally. But usually they're asking me about my vocation. You know, what, what is it that you do that feeds your family? And, and when I tell them that I'm a pastor, <clears throat> it, it, it's interesting some of the responses we get, and I don't know, Pastor Roy, you've probably had those experience, and Pastor Stephanie, that people come and go, really, you're a pastor? And, and have some notion about what that involves and what that means for me. I pastored a church in the south. It was actually in Illinois, but it was in southern Illinois. We were an hour from Paducah, Kentucky, and culturally, we were in the south. I mean, the way they talked, the way they uh, conducted themselves, the food they ate, we were in the south. And down there, when I would say I'm a pastor, they would correct me and they would say, oh, you're a preacher. That's, that's the vocation, you're a preacher. And uh, I, I learned to embrace that and enjoy that and say, well, yes, I preach. Uh, and in that context, there were often people who would say to me, well, I could never do that. And, and I would usually ask them, why not? What, what would prevent you from being a preacher? And uh, the number one response was, I, there's no way I could get up in front of people and talk. And I tell them it's a lot easier than you think. Sometimes they would say, well, I wouldn't know what to say. And I would commiserate with them and say, well, sometimes I don't know what to say. And uh, occasionally they would say, I have nothing to say because my life has nothing in it that speaks of God. Now some of you are probably sitting there going, I'm glad, Hank, that you're the preacher and I'm not on this Sunday morning. Uh, not, re- not too long ago, recently, I came to church on Sunday morning and my body was not very cooperative, and I was feeling really bad. And I was prepared. I was going to bring a message that I had prepared. And then I went home and went to bed. And Pastor Stephanie stepped up at a moment's notice, and she was able and ready. And she brought uh, a, a profound thought, and uh, she preached. Paul says that... Leaders in the church should be ready to give witness of the good news in season and out of season. (laughs) And I I think for that, you know, I think about that, that means that you should be ready to preach whether you've prepared or not. (laughs) And I would just suggest to you that I'm lonely up here. I would love to have other people preach with me. Now, Maybe up here isn't necessary. But I want to challenge each of you to think about how, how God has interacted in your life and what he's doing to remap and rewire you and how that changes you when you go out into the world because he has given you good news to share. And so we're going to, over the next two weeks, this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to talk about the preacher in all of us and how any one of you get to share the good news. And to help us with this, we're going to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, 
we'll come back to it next week and go into the following uh, verses from what we do this morning. So stay with me. But before I read from the scripture and before I unpack all of this, I want you to know that uh, what you need to remember is we have good news that's worth sharing. And so I, I know that as I interacted with those people, I said, well, I'm a preacher. And some said, I, I couldn't do that. I've also interacted with people occasionally that when I talk about me serving Jesus Christ with my life and my vocation, they look back at me with this kind of a perplexed look and they go, I have no idea what you're talking about. Now usually in America and particularly in the Midwest, they do. They understand and everybody's heard about Jesus in some form, whether it was accurate or not. But from time to time I come across somebody and as I am unpacking and and sort of sharing with them that this is what I do as a follower of Jesus Christ, and one who has answered a call to lead his people, they, they go, what's that all about? And they have no idea. They come back with, well, I have no idea what that really means and what that's like. And more frequently than I would like to admit, many of them go, oh, you're a pastor. What does that mean? What does that look like? I have no idea what a pastor actually does. And, you know, you, there's those jokes which some people still perpetuate where they go, oh, so you only work one day a week. And I say, that's true. I only work one day a week, but it takes me five others to get ready for that work. And then I kind of explain that, you know, what I'm doing in and out of the course of my life feeds and leads the messages that I bring. One of the things that I think we can bring to the world when we encounter people who say, well, I really have no idea what it means and what it's like to follow Jesus, to fall in love with Jesus, to be changed by him. We get to share back with them that that this is really good news. Because some people say, well, is Jesus really about good news? Is that really good stuff? Because I look around and I see, I've heard this, I see when I look around that people who say they follow Jesus are not nice people. And they don't do good things. And so I've heard people speak back to me and they they usually ask a question back and they say, well, what kind of a church are you? What's your church like? Are you you weird? And that's exactly, that's the appropriate answer. Yes, we are. We are, in fact, scripture says we are a peculiar people. That's a really nice way of saying, you're really weird. But, but they want, what they really want to know is, what are you about that makes you different in a positive way? Years ago, and I've shared this story before, but it, it, it just caught my attention. Uh, a youth pastor at our church, uh, he was going to the gym, and he was on a treadmill working out, and a guy was on the next treadmill, and he was an executive at a business there in Springfield, Illinois. They were talking, and Travis asked the guy next to me, he says, so what do you do? He says, well, I'm an exec with this insurance company and, and you know, we underwrite um, you know, other businesses and explained what his insurance company did. And he turned to him, he says, so what do you do? And Travis says, well, I'm a youth pastor. And he says, what church are you at? And so he told them. And then our youth pastor was prepared. He thought the next question would be, well, what do you believe in? But instead of asking that question, the guy says, so tell me, what is it that your church does? What do you guys do? And he's, then 
Travis started to respond. He said, well, we believe. And he goes, no, 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 don't tell me what you believe. Tell me what you do. And the guy went on to say, what you do will tell me what kind of people you are. Ooh, wow. That cuts close to home, doesn't it? And what he was asking, I think, is, is the Jesus that you believe in and the Jesus you follow, is he really about good news? Or is he about just pointing out to people how errant and broken and disgusting they are? Years ago, I sat in a living room listening to some people who were giving me advice about going to the ministry. I was still in college. And and over and over again, there was this refrain that came back from this group of people who were kind of not of our tribe. They were a little different to free Methodists. And over and over again, they said, well, you need to preach sin. You need to preach sin. And I, you know, finally, I, I interrupted and I said, I think what I need to really preach is forgiveness of sin. Because there's enough sin. We know all about that. But people don't know that sin can actually be forgiven and sin that can be conquered. And so we're going to, I would rather preach about forgiveness of sin. A follow-up question might be, might be that we encounter as we, we look around us in the world is, why are God's people so fixated on what's wrong? Now, don't get too defensive on this, but, you know, we are really quick to talk about problems all the time. We're quick to talk about problems in people's personal lives. You know, if you wouldn't sleep around, if you wouldn't drink too much, if you didn't watch that stuff on the internet, that's your problem. You know, I found, and, and I don't know if Sid would agree with me on this, our, our, Sid's our counselor here, but people usually know they have problems. I don't need to go, you know, that's your problem. They go, yeah, you know rocket scientists, thank you. <laughs> they know they have problems. And we're going, you know, I know what your problem is. So do I. I mean, I, people usually know what their problems is, are, are, but we fixate on the problems and we get really negative because we see the problems uh, all the time around us. The world does too. What the world doesn't see is how problems can be addressed in the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. And then, this, this is, I've been reading a book recently that is a, uh, it, it came from a guy that worked with George Barna, if you know George Barna, his name's David Kinneman. And he just did this thing where he studied all kinds of people. He did all these surveys of people who are not part of the church, who aren't really uh, brought up in the faith, who don't agree with our belief system. And he asked them what their view is of Christians. And one of, the, one of the top responses was, Christians only care about arguing. They only want to tell you why they're right and I'm wrong. And, you know, let's be honest. I mean, we kind of do like to do that, don't we? I've been a part of Bible studies that were more about, you know, arguing little theological minutiae than they really were about how we can really follow Jesus in better ways or how we can understand who God is in better ways. So though some of these indictments are, are valid, 
And I would just suggest that, that there's probably nothing new about that with God's people because, you know, the church is remarkably human and broken and frail. We are. But in the midst of this, I think, and I'm going to keep coming back to that, I think everyone who has encountered the good news, everyone then can do a little bit of preaching. Maybe not in the way I do it, maybe not up here the way I do it, but everybody could do a little bit of preaching. And, and so I want to look at this passage from 1 Corinthians where Paul is writing to a church that's really messed up and really broken. I love the church in Corinth because they make me feel really good about our church. Paul is talking to them, the Apostle Paul's talking about his role and what he does as a leader and as someone who is called by God. And he says this, yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I did not preach the good news. If I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice, for God has given me this sacred trust. What then is my pay? It is the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That is why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. Even though I'm a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So let me, let me give you a little bit more information on preaching and what preaching really is, because a lot of people think that preaching is just talking. <clears throat> um, my father-in-law has a saying that I've adopted, and he used it on me when uh, Kayleen and I were first married. And uh, his saying is a question, and I was talking with him, and he said, are you just talking or are you saying something? So we realize that you can do a lot of talking without really saying anything. But preaching is more than just saying something. It's, it's not quite the same as teaching. In fact, I like to differentiate it. There are some elements of preaching that are, that are didactic, that teach truth. But really, preaching is grounded in the, the need to proclaim the good news. And the word in the New Testament Greek that is used for to preach is to proclaim. It's to take something really good, really important, and put it out there. I remember when I was 
in high school and grade school, and I did a little bit of drama, a little bit of theater, and we, we did these operettas where we sang and acted, and, and uh, the teacher that directed us, she kept saying, you've got to project, you've got to get your voice out there, we want to hear you. And us, you know, intimidated kids and not quite confident of what we were doing or that we would sing the right notes and we would hold back. No, come on, project, put it out there. Proclaiming is to put it out there, project it, get this kind of good news loud and clear among people. And in fact, there is a, a, an element of the, the words in Greek that says that this is to herald something. And so I looked up what it meant to be a herald. And this is H-E-R-A-L-D, not an H-A. You know, that's a guy's name. But to herald, to be a herald. And to be a herald was really to have the role of serving as a messenger for a king, for a monarch. And so the king would say, I want people to know that there's a new law. And so he would gather these people who were, their, their, their job was to be the, a herald, and they would go to different towns, and then they would say, they would get up there, and, and of course this was before microphones and loudspeakers, and they would get up and they would yell, and they would say, this is what the king says. Pay attention, everybody. And people knew that if they missed it, they might break the law because they didn't find out that there was a new law. And so they would stop and they would listen because these guys had a purpose, and their purpose was to get out this message. Now, occasionally, usually that meant bad news and taxation and things like that. But occasionally, a king would have good news and he would say, you know what, we won the war. And send his heralds out and say, go, go out and tell everybody, the war's over, we won. Or occasionally it would be, we're going to celebrate, something good has happened, you know, I got married or I had a baby or something like that. So we're going to celebrate, so we're going to have a holiday. So people would also want to pay attention because, you know, if I'm going to be taxed, not so good. But if I get a day off, that's awesome. If my son comes home from war, that's even better. And so they would pay attention. So this, when these people who were serving as a herald would come into town, people would gather and go, we're about to hear something. And they'd gather around and they'd listen. And then this guy would get up there and yell, basically. Last year, we, we had a layover in Europe when, as we were going to our mission trip. And we had our layover in Frankfurt, Germany. So we decided to go out. Well, we had about 12 hours there and go get a meal and walk around town. And, and uh, most of Frankfurt is just a, a modern urban city. But there's this, there's this little square that they've preserved of all the old German buildings called the Ruin. And we went down there. And there's a lot of tourists there. We want to see what Germany used to be like, right? And there's a guy that stands there, and um, in, in Holland, uh, from my background, we called him a burgermeister, which is usually a mayor, but this guy was more like a town crier, and he had these tights on, and, and I don't know, I'd call them like knickerbockers, you know, pants that came down to just the knees and then tights below those, and then he had this kind of weird hat and a, and a frilly shirt. And he stood there like he was, you know, giving an edict from the king, and you could, so I had my picture taken with him. And I, I went up there, I walked up and said, hey, you know, hon, I gave Kayleen the camera, I said, get a picture of me with this guy. So I went up, and he was on a box. He was standing on a box. And he puts his arm around me, and he points at me as though, you know, maybe I'm a dignitary in town. 
and we snapped a couple pictures, and then he asked me for a couple bucks. <laughs> so he was making money on this. But, but this was somebody who was a caricature of how they used to do things in Germany. He was probably a herald, or uh, some called him a town crier. The great thing about being a herald for Christ is we get to share good news always. We get to share good news always. We get to say, Christ came. He died for you. This, this table is about good news. Sins washed clean. Body broken and resurrected. It's good news. So that's the line on preaching. Proclaim it. Not just teach about it. Not just, you know, consider it. Argue about it. Proclaim it. Remember, everybody can do a little preaching. In the passage we read, we read, Apostle Paul says, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So it's not just about, you know, I tell the good news, but it's not good news for me. It's good news for you, but for me it's bad news. Paul, before this, he was talking about being compensated for preaching. And he said, you know, I would do this without pay because I'm compelled to do it. We'll come back to that in a moment. But he goes on to say, but I do everything to spread the good news and I get to share in its blessings. So the good news is for me and for you. It's for all of us. In fact, the message is so important that I will bring everything I can to make certain that it gets heard. So Paul went into this elaborate thing about talking about when he was with the Jews, he observed the Jewish law. and When he was with the Gentiles, he was freed from that, but not the law of Christ. And, and he went through this elaborate thing about how I'm going to go through all these different gauntlets to try and get the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. You know, sometimes I think we keep the good news and hope that eventually there are circumstances that fit us so that we can share it. And so, you know, Lord, it would be really nice if you'd orchestrate it so I can share the good news the way that I'm prepared to. Paul takes the opposite approach. He goes, I'm going to figure out every way possible. I'm going to bring everything I can and harness it and try to get every opportunity I can to share the good news. This means that I'm going to find places where the news isn't good. And I'm going to try to go and fit in there, make a place there, so that I am somehow different to that. Years and years ago, my, my brother-in-law was offered a promotion. He'd been working for some time in that office, and the capacity was working. And they came to him, and they, they, they said, we like what you're doing and we would like you to do more. Uh, and actually, it was a different company. Came to them, they said, we like what you're doing there, but we want to court you away to our company. And in fact, we, we want to make you an executive with our company. And they flashed a lot of money. They, they, they offered to double his salary. And so he went home to my sister, and they talked to me. He said, you know, I could, I could jump. I could shift and go work for this new company, and they're offering me a lot of money. 
that it's, they're just getting started and I'd be, I'd be working all the time. So my, my sister was like, well, I don't know if I like that. Her, their kids were still in high school at the time. But they agreed to pray about it. My brother-in-law was working with a guy. They'd worked together for years in that office and they'd become good friends. And over the years, he had been able, because of the friendship, he'd been able to share some of his faith. And so when his buddy Earl fell on hard times, he was able to say, you know, I understand. And, and when I have these kinds of experiences, I rely on God. I pray to Jesus, and it seems to help. And over the years, Earl, you know, he listened. He, he, he went from being a guy who was kind of crusty and resistant to a guy that was accepting of that. You know, he just, okay, you know, you're not that weird, but okay. But he went back to the company that had made the offer, and he said, you know, I, I've prayed about this. And actually, the, the CEO of the company was a believer, which was one of the reasons why he was being courted. And he said, I prayed about this, but I don't think I can take it because Earl doesn't know Jesus. And over and over again, the Lord has told me, stay there because he needs you. So I'm giving up the opportunity. And, and his friend who had made the offer said, you know, we're, this, is, this is a ground level thing. You'd be getting it on the ground level. If you decide in a year or two that you want to come work for me, you're not going to be an executive. He said, no, 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 I, I'm going to stay with Earl. So he went back and he stayed. And he's actually still in that office today. And Earl and his wife went through some really hard times. Cancer. And he was able to go to the hospital with them and say, I'm praying for you. And, and the day came when Earl called him and he goes, Hey, hey, Brent, would you, would you pray for us today? That was the way the conversation started. And you just realized that faith is just invaded there. Where it was faithless before. And all of a sudden he's going, you know, ask Jesus for me. And then he got to say, well, let's ask him together. And someone who didn't know Jesus is now talking to him. The message is so important. I will bring everything I can and harness it so that people will get to hear. I will make certain that they get to hear. In fact, we, we have to share this. Paul said, he used this word, he said, I am compelled to share the good news. It's so good that we, we should be of a mind that, I, I, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you, this is so good. Many of you remember, some, some of you don't know who I'm talking about, but many of you remember the story of Pastor Joe Mitchell. Pastor Joe pastored this church, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, really nasty, horrible, horrible cancer. And they, they started a, a plan, and they were going to do surgery, and they were going to try to remove it. And they got in there, and it was, it was there. It was gone. And I can't explain that, and I, I believe in science. I don't think science is, is hooey, but this defies that. It just doesn't work with nature that way. And doctors were scratching their heads and shaking their heads. Some of you know our, our, our friend uh, Kim Martin used to attend here as pastoring up in Mays. He had MS, multiple sclerosis. He had lesions on his brain and he was walking with a cane. 
And the Lord touched him, and there are no lesions on his brain now, and doctors say, that, that doesn't happen. You don't undo those things. And we can't explain it. But I'll tell you, both of those men are really quick to tell you the story. Aren't they? They're really quick to say, you know, I, I'm not like that anymore. I can't explain it. It's weird, and you might think that I'm weird, but I'm okay. I've been healed. I've been set free from that sentence. And I've got to tell you about it. You know, they just have this vivid reminder in their, in their bodies of what God has done. We tend to get a little forgetful. And we forget what God has done for our hearts, our souls. Paul says that he's compelled to do this, but then he also says in other words, I consider it an honor. And I like this. I consider it an honor. Like the guy being sent out from the king, when he walks into the town, they go, that guy's from the king. As our message rings true, people will begin to point and go, he's got or she's got a connection that we need to pay attention to. They have access to God in ways that we need to pay attention to. So for Earl to pick up the phone and call and say, hey, please pray for us. This is bad news. Because somehow you have spoken things that have spoken to me and you have access to good news and we could use a lot of that right now. Paul goes on to say, you know, I've become a slave to all these different kinds of people. I've become a slave to the Jews and I live under the law that I think is no longer applicable, but I'm, I'm going to do it so I can speak to these people about God. And I'm going I'm to live among Gentiles and I might live like them, but I'm going to follow Christ among them so that I can speak to them about Christ. When we take a team of people to Mozambique to help out there at the hospital, I guarantee you among, among the ladies of a team, the most unpopular thing I have to tell them is that you have to dress a certain way in Mozambique. There are cultural values at play there, and we're not going to offend them. And so I tell them, you know, when we're with our church people, ladies, you're going to wear skirts. And there's some moaning and groaning. Really? Can I not wear my shorts? Can I not wear my leggings? Can I? You know, in America, this is fine, and we're not going to hell if we do this. And you know, and and over and over again, I said, "Would you do this for them? Because if you do this for them, you remove that barrier, and they will come up closer to you, and they will engage you. And we've only got a couple of weeks to do that. Would you do this for them?" There's another affectation that, that has to do with men, and that is men who wear shorts are seen as boys. Boys wear shorts. Men in authority wear long pants. It gets hot, incredibly hot there. And I like to wear shorts. But there are times when I know I, I need to be heard. I've got something to say here, and I need to be heard. And so I'll put up with that. And in fact, I, I tried to get away with this because I thought, you know, in America, we're kind of getting away from being so formal and I don't have to wear a shirt and tie and a suit to, to preach. I have to wear a shirt to preach in, but not a suit and tie. There we go. That would be really distracting. <laughs> but, you know, I went, I went over there uh, in 2012 and I thought, I, I'm not going to take a suit coat because it's hot. And so I'm just going to go over there 
and try to preach just in shirt sleeves. And so we were, we were getting ready to go to church. We were going to walk over to the church. And I was there with my good friend, Zhuang, the bishop. And he, he's our, our Mozambican bishop. And I've known him my whole life. And he comes out and he says, do you have a jacket? I said, no, I, I didn't bring from the United States. And so I'm sorry, you know, kind of going, ha, ha, you know, I'm going to get away with this. And he turned around and he went inside and he came out with one of his suit jackets. He goes, I've got one for you. <laughs> and I went, when I'm among the Jews, I will be like the Jews. I will live under the law, you know, muttering to myself. You see, there are people who cannot hear things because their lives are complicated by their culture. And that's not just Africans across the world. That's people in the next aisle at Dillon's. That's people in the parking lot at Walmart. And I will be what I need to be to share with them the good news. You know, sometimes it doesn't take a lot. We think, oh my goodness, what a burden for us. But sometimes it takes very little just to share the good news. Remember, everybody can do a little bit of preaching. And if we do that together, we come together with a bunch of other people and we join this incredible chorus. So I want, I want to think a, a little bit about this musically, that when we come and we bring the message together, the good news together, we come together in a way that our voices connect and coincide in some of the most beautiful ways. You've had the experience of walking into a room where everybody's talking, and there's just this hum. There's this, there's, you know, and you can't really tell, I can't really tell with my ears, one voice from another. There's just this low hum of talking. And then there have been times when I went into a room where different people are singing or playing instruments. And I, I, I really experienced this when I was in high school and doing you know, choir competition and things like that. And you walk in and people are singing different songs or they're playing different pieces and you just go, wow, this is, this is just jarring. You know, because i got an oboe over here doing this thing and drums over here and they're all doing, and it's jarring, but, uh, you know, that, that instrumentalist is in their moment, in their place, but a person who's trying to take it all in, it, it's just really disconnecting. But here's the beautiful thing, because our message and our words are propelled and conditioned by the Holy Spirit, when we share the good news they come in line and connect with other people's voices in the most beautiful ways. Now, all I can think about is when all of a sudden a director comes in and says, okay, everybody's attention from the top. And all the instruments and all the voices are on the same sheet of music. And even though they may not be singing exactly the same note, they may not be in unison, although some of them are, but others are in harmony. And it is incredibly beautiful. So your voice, when you say, this is the good news that I have found and I know about Jesus Christ, is connecting with somebody said to them yesterday or last year or will say to them tomorrow and it's going to connect beautifully. And then there's those, those incredible concert moments when they go, it's incredible that you said that because I just heard this from somebody else. It must be true. It must be true. I go back to what my father-in-law said. Are you saying something or were you just talking? Are you singing something or are you just making noise? Well, we're going to sing something. So I'm going to invite the band to